Welcome to Roger That, a podcast presented by HVAF of Indiana. I'm your host, Lauren Carpenter, and join me as we discuss how HVAF is ending veteran homelessness and how you can join us in our mission. We'll be having conversations with community partners, staff members, and even some of the veterans we serve. We hope sharing more of our story with supporters like you can shine a light and give a voice to this vulnerable population, because no hero should ever be homeless. All right, we have a great episode today with two interviews, but before we dive in, here are some stats we'd like to share that show how we served Hoosier Heroes in central Indiana in July. So last month, we provided temporary housing for 106 veterans and provided emergency and permanent housing for 205 veterans. We provided essential items to 254 veterans through our food, hygiene, and clothing pantry. Our employment specialists helped 16 veterans get hired and received the opportunity for a good and promising career. 17 veterans received legal services thanks to our partnership with Neighborhood Christian Legal Clinic. So far this year, we have served 1,035 veterans, and we know we couldn't serve this many Hoosier heroes without your support. So thank you for donating, volunteering, following us on social media, and listening to this podcast. To find out more about how we serve homeless and at-risk veterans as well as their families, head to hvaf.org. On today's episode of Roger That, I am excited to introduce to you one of our partners, the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, also known as NCHV. NCHV is the leading authority on homeless veterans issues, and it's the only national organization solely focused on ending veteran homelessness. They work to achieve their mission by promoting collaboration, shaping policy, building service capacity, ensuring accountability, and managing a referral helpline for veterans experiencing and are at risk of homelessness. In this episode, you're going to hear from NCHV CEO Catherine Monet and former NCHV board chair and HVAF board emeritus Steve Benz. As CEO of NCHV, Catherine focuses on the execution of NCHV's strategic policy and technical assistance agenda and on expanding NCHV's strategic partnerships to more effectively end veteran homelessness. Catherine has spent over a decade in the public and nonprofit sector working to address housing instability and homelessness among veterans. Prior to joining NCHV, she was with the National Alliance to End Homelessness, focusing on the promotion of data-driven, evidence-based interventions to end homelessness, particularly among veterans. Catherine also was involved in veteran homelessness in a legislative capacity during her time at the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs. Catherine currently serves on the VA Advisory Committee for Homeless Veterans, the U.S. Vets D.C. Advisory Council, the Board of Directors for the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, and the Board of Governors for the National Housing Conference. Steve's relationship with HVAF goes all the way back to 2002. Eli Lilly and Company had provided a grant to HVAF, and as one of the company's lawyers at the time, he worked on the paperwork for that grant. From that assignment, he learned more about HVAF and wanted to join in on the mission. Since then, he has served on HVAF's Board of Directors and even served as board chair for six years. He is now a director emeritus. In 2014, Steve joined the NCHV Board of Directors and served as their board chair from 2020 until this past June. Today, he is proud to work at Nova Nordisk as the corporate vice president of legal and general counsel. Steve also served as a captain in the United States Air Force from 1985 to 1991. All right, let's get into it. Here are my conversations with Catherine and Steve. Catherine, thank you so much for joining Roger That this morning. Thank you for having me. It's good to be with you today. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we can uh, talk about this. And, you know, we 
Um, I feel like in the last few years, we haven't been sharing a lot with our supporters, you know, more about how we're connected with, you know, NCHV and just um, able, I'm excited we can share more about what you guys are doing and how we're connected and how they can uh, support you. So, so first, um, if you just want to share with us, you know, just a little bit more about what the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans is. Yeah, well, so the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans is a, a wonderful organization. I'm obviously biased, right? But, <laughs> you know, we have been around working on veteran homelessness and trying to address this issue since even before it was cool and popular to work on, right? Uh, I, I'm going to give you kind of the nutshell of our origin story because I think it matters in terms of where we started and how we got to doing what we do. Uh, we were started in 1990 by a group of Vietnam veterans who at the time were at a conference for the Homeless Veterans Reintegration Program, right? That's the Department of Labor program that provides employment services to veterans. And at that time, that program was, I don't know, very tiny. I think they said it was around the $5 million program, right? Yeah. And that was one of the only dedicated types of assistance that was available to veterans experiencing homelessness. And so what they told us is that, you know, at that time, veterans were really getting the runaround. Like they were very overrepresented in the population of people experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. They'd go to shelters and shelters would kind of be like, well, you're a veteran. Like, doesn't VA have anything for you? And they go to VA and like, you know, need some shots. You want to see a doctor? Great. Oh, you're homeless here. We got some sandwiches. Go down the street to the local shelter. And they'd sort of ping pong back and forth in an unproductive way. And so this group of gentlemen who were working at shelters and organizations across the country decided that they wanted to get together and do something to change that, Right. And that's really what they did. They organized an entire national field of providers and sort of got everybody behind creating some dedicated assistance for veterans experiencing homelessness. And it was really timely because, you know, at that point, the McKinney-Vento Act was like pushing through Congress. And so they were able to create, you know, the first really dedicated programs out there that were available to homeless veterans. So I think they codified the Healthcare for Homeless Veterans program. They created the Grand and Perdium program. And, you know, that's work that we've been doing ever since, right? When you think mm -hmm. about the ways that the landscape of service opportunities and offerings has changed to veterans, we still engage heavily in that work in partnership with Congress, our federal partners and providers across the country like HVAF. Mm -hmm. uh, we also do trainings and technical assistance. So that's really designed to help providers accelerate their work and their efforts, um, help them understand how federal programs work and quite frankly, how they can work the programs on behalf of the veterans they're serving, right? If we're being like really honest mm -hmm. and, you know, at a number of things, right? We've um, recently branched out into doing some landlord engagement trainings and different um, types of trainings than we've done before. And I think that's been really fruitful. Uh, the other big pillar of our work is our toll-free referral line where um, veterans who are facing a housing crisis call into our office and we kind of help them navigate the system of care in their community, which um, as you all know, in some communities can be completely overwhelming and challenging to figure out where you can you know, access help, what you're actually eligible for and how you go about getting in that front door and like getting your assessment. And so that's kind of who we are in a nutshell, our biggest um, pillar activities that we work on as an organization. Yeah, how many service providers do you help throughout the country? So that's an interesting question because we are, so as an organization, we do have organizations we work with that are NCHV members, mm -hmm. right? And that number is close to 200, but okay. we, we work with other providers who are not NCHV members, right? Because there is mm -hmm. a whole universe of folks out there who are um, all engaged in this work. And so I think the level of engagement differs depending on, you know, whether you're a member or whether you're a provider that we have known 
for a really long time, like HVAC and someone who we like know and love and trust, or whether you're someone who's kind of new and we're like, yeah, we, we know you're out there and we hope you're doing good work. We're going to refer a veteran to you and like, please help. Right. You know, so it, it, it's different, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you able to share maybe a little bit more specifically how you've been able to help us out over the years? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because our relationship with HVAC has been wonderful. I've been here at NCHV for a little over six years now. And I think in the time that I've been here, I've worked with two of your CEOs. So you've had two CEOs mm-hmm. and both have been wonderful to work with. Um, you know, your team has really been a resource to us here in D.C. as we advocate for, you know, more resources and policy changes on behalf of our key federal programs. Right. We've been working a lot with Emmy lately on um, some advocacy related to the grant and credit reimbursement rate. Mm-hmm. You know, in the middle of the pandemic, you all were really instrumental in kind of helping us think through different ways that providers could adjust their shelter services and their service offerings for veterans so that, you know, we had some best practices that we could then push out to other communities across the country. Um, You know, I think we, our our prior board chair, we actually uh, may have, I don't want to say stolen, borrowed (laughs) Steve Mm -hmm. Benz. We may have borrowed him from you all because I think he was your board chair and, um, you know, our board saw the great work that he was doing there and um, wanted to have his leadership a little bit more than we had been in the past. And so I think we've been working with you all a great deal and probably even more than that before I got here. Yeah, it's it's cool to hear that we've been able to help each other, you know, not just you help us, we can help you. And, you know, and, and we're able to, that's something, you know, we want people to know is, you know, we since we are health veterans, you know, we, we then know the topic very well, just veteran, you know, homelessness, veteran needs, you know, so being able to like share our knowledge, you know, on a federal level is, is really cool to hear. So, yeah. And, you know, you said you've been here for, you know, over six years. And so what led you to, to work for NCHV? Well, a series of happy accidents. I'm over here like, how much time do you have? Oh my goodness. My villain origin story, huh? Well, so I'll be honest and say that, you know, when I was growing up, I don't think I ever saw myself having a career in veteran services or domestic policy or anything, Mm -hmm. right? I think I had always thought that I wanted to work in the foreign policy space and do like, I don't know, international aid or something crazy like that. And, you know, that's appealing, right? But some of that work you do and you don't ever really get to see tangible results, right? It's not like working on something here where you can actually visibly see people like, oh, they're getting housing. Oh, this program is growing and you can kind of touch the issue. And so, you know, there was a point in my career where I kind of transitioned over from, um, international affairs to like domestic policy work, right? And I I somewhat accidentally got a job Mm -hmm. at the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs. And, um, you know, homelessness was one of the issues in my portfolio. And I'll be honest, when I started working on this issue, I was kind of like, oh man, I got to learn some stuff. This is complicated because, you know, the problem is very much like an onion. Like it's not just like you're operating shelters or providing housing, right? There's so much more that goes with addressing a person's needs. And so as I started to learn, what I realized was like, oh, I was thinking about my childhood and myself, right? And I don't think I fully had a word for this, but I grew up in Hawaii. Like my family was not rich at all, right? Like it was four of us in like a two bedroom house. And I slept on a couch for like the entirety of my like, well, maybe not my whole life, but like Mm -hmm. when I was done sharing a bed, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think I fully grasped at the time that I was actually doubled up because 
like my family did not actually have money to move out into somewhere else. And it was kind of like that realization that got me thinking about like, this is actually a really important issue. And like, I got to care a lot more because they are me and I am them. And like, that we could do better for people, right? Surely, at mm-hmm. least for veterans, where we mm-hmm. have so many resources and so much available to them. Like, why, why is this happening and how do we fix it? And so for me, that's kind of what led to my passion in this area. Um, you know, I was working in the Senate for a little while, and I think you probably well know the work-life balance and the pace there is not what it could or should be right. if you're someone who, like, <laughs> has a young family and is trying to figure it out. And so... Um, I sort of looked around to figure out a way to work just on the things I care about. And veteran homelessness was the issue that kind of rose to the top of my, uh, amidst the um, variety of things that I was also working on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I sort of jumped out and I, I jumped out at the time to work at the National Alliance to End Homelessness because they had some really great um, opportunities there. And I think there was a little bit of me that thought that if I stick around and work on veterans issues were much longer like that's all I'm going to be able to do with my career and that's okay it's rewarding but like there's a whole big world out there and like should I really limit myself should I try and kind of broaden my experiences a little bit more and you know then this position opened up at NCHE and I was like oh well maybe I could do that Mm -hmm. I don't know maybe I can't let me just like (laughs) try and apply and see what happens like what's the worst they'll say no right I still have this job and I'm still happy here and so I I applied for this job on a whim, literally like the night before the position opened and closed. Like, oh, no, let's <laughs> see what happens. Like, I'm just going to send this out into the universe and <laughs> hope for the best. And um, they ended up hiring me to do yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And here you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why <laughs> Why? Uh, why do you like still, like, you know, working and leading H- NCHV? No, it's really rewarding work. Mm-hmm. And I know that. I have a lot of peers who can't say that their work is as rewarding as mine is. Like they do a job, they don't hate their job, but they don't think about it like from morning to night. They don't have, you know, things to look forward to, right? Like it's never Mm -hmm. like they're going to get a call from a veteran. They helped on the hotline saying, hey, I moved into my housing today. I just put together my desk. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to start looking for work. It's those little things I think that make it meaningful right or the Mm -hmm. like oh my goodness we just got two billion dollars for veterans during COVID and like that's not a lot but it is a lot right for like these tiny programs and the people that it can help and I think you know some of the little wins and the um I don't know the ways that you can see the wins make an impact for people um are rewarding to me and keep Mm -hmm. me going yeah yeah so now you know since you're at the federal level you know can you share a little bit more about what veteran homelessness looks like just across the nation. Yeah, I absolutely can. Like, say less, Lauren. I will tell you all the things. So tell me when to stop, okay? (laughs) Well, so one of the things that we do is when we're talking about veteran homelessness, we do rely pretty heavily on HUD's point in time count. And um, it's not a perfect science, right? Getting to point in time count numbers. And I think you know this. I don't know if your listeners do. So I'm just going to preface ac- this by saying. Oh. Actually, our last episode was all about the pick count. So <laughs> oh, so I don't have to preface it by saying anything besides right. it's a little bit imperfect, but it's yeah. the best year over year estimate that we um are yes. able to use nationally. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for telling me. Yeah, of course. So, you know, the most recent point in time count that came out was the count from 2022 and that was interesting because there were, you know, during the COVID years, not everybody counted. And so 
you can't make really firm apples to apples comparisons like we usually can, but I mean, there was pretty good news, right? Like on any given night, it was a little over 33,000 veterans who are homeless in this country. And when you look at the ways that the numbers have trended over the years, that's pretty good because I think the peak when we were counting under this methodology was about 74,000 in 2010. And so that's a pretty dramatic reduction, you know, over the course of a little over a decade, right? We still have a lot more work to do because 33,000 is like a heck of a lot of people, right? That's like yeah. a stadium of people. and like that's not acceptable, but, you know, we're making good progress, especially when you look at the trends for some of the other subpopulations and pit comp just in general, right? Now, when you dive a little bit deeper into the numbers, right, you do see, um, at least in this last year in 2022, about 28% of the veterans had patterns of chronic homelessness, right? Meaning that they were either homeless for a really long time or had, um, concurrent episodes of homelessness over the course of a couple of years. So those are folks that might need a little bit more intense um, intervention, right, to pull them out of homelessness and into housing. Uh, there were uh, lower numbers of families amongst the, amidst the veteran population than we see in the general population, right? About 3% of veterans experiencing homelessness had families, meaning they had children, which um, mm -hmm is another challenge that I think providers have to start thinking about, right? As we mm -hmm. see more women in the military and more younger families, right? Yeah. We will have to think about the makeup of our services and how we accommodate folks with children or spouses or what yeah. that looks like. Um, but, you know, homelessness looks really different, um, you know, in different places, right? I mean, I think a lot about the sort of urban versus rural divide, right? Where in some communities you see a lot of just visible unsheltered homelessness and encampments. Mm -hmm. And then in other communities, it's a lot more um, hidden and like folks living in, you know, places that aren't suitable for human habitation or different things like that. And so there, there's, there's a whole lot to unpack when you think about what homelessness looks like nationally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, something that we've been, you know, focusing a little bit more on, you know, we've seen on a local level, the racial disparity, you know, for example, um, in our county, Marion County, Black individuals make up over 50% of our population um, experiencing homelessness, but there's only 28% um, of the overall population. And um, we're partnering um, with our, you know, different community uh, partners, you know, to to address this issue, but, you know, I just wanted to see kind of what, how you've seen that maybe on a, on a federal level. Yeah. Well, so the, the numbers from the pit count, right. Say that black veterans were about 34% of veterans who were experiencing sheltered homelessness and 26% of the veterans experiencing unsheltered homelessness. Mm -hmm. But when you look at black veterans um, across just the veteran population, right. They only are about 12% of all U S veterans. Oh, wow. So there is some pretty dramatic overrepresentation nationally as well. Um, yeah. I think a lot of communities are grappling with, what to do and how to bring in a stronger equity lens into, you know, their solutions and the ways that they support veterans in moving on from homelessness. Yeah. Are there any solutions that you guys are thinking through or, you know, I've heard other service providers trying to do? You know, I think in the bigger picture, we have had a couple of trainings at our annual conference on equity and race to kind of help people think about these issues differently. Mm -hmm. But I really think that for communities, right, a lot of what you need to do starts with data and talking to people, right? So understanding that you've got 
this dramatic um, overrepresentation, right? And then thinking about, well, now what, why is that? Because that looks different from community to community, mm-hmm. right? And I do think that the now what, why is that part is really the part that gets you to the solution, right? So in some communities, it's that you've got a lot of reentry folks because they're overcriminalizing certain types of issues. In other communities, it's kind of like, housing market racism type issues right and so mm-hmm. the solutions kind of vary based on the why is that part of the conversation but I do think that looking at your data really targeting you know your outreach and understanding of that population is um, instrumental right because you do hear different things when you talk to diverse groups of veterans and I mean for us that's something that we've been trying to do as we've been doing veteran focus groups is trying to ensure that um, they're sort of very diverse and overrepresented certain populations so that we can make sure that we're capturing, you know, different needs because people experience things differently, right? Like they roll through a housing system or a homeless crisis response system very differently. And I mean, some of it is as simple as like, yeah, this case manager could have given me this apartment, but instead they steered mm-hmm. me towards this neighborhood, right? I mean, I can remember even when I was buying my first house, right? Like our realtor kept showing us things that were like, not in the best neighborhoods. And I'm like, okay, I get yeah. it. Like our budget is this, but there's also like this smaller thing in a nicer neighborhood. Like, well, right. can you show me that? And she's like, well, I guess I could. But, and, and so some yeah. of it is kind of bigger picture systemic stuff, right? Some of mm-hmm. it is thinking about what you do as an agency and how your policies perpetuate inequities or don't, right? And mm-hmm. sort of being really progressive and thinking about your equity lens there. And then quite frankly, the other half is individuals really doing the work, right? Like mm-hmm. are the people who are, doing the work on veteran homelessness, also doing the work on racial equity and really thinking through their own biases and kind of walking the talk to um, ensure that they can be fair to people. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a lot, right? Because it, it's like a whole separate problem. And yeah. it's hard to say like, yeah, you have to solve racism to solve homelessness, right. but they kind of do, right? Like, yeah. it's hard to do without it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, over the last six years you've been leading in CHV, are there any uh, initiatives that you've led that you're just really proud that you want to share? Ooh, initiatives that I've led. I'm like, I don't need anything. My team needs me. What are you talking about? No, I mean, there are some really cool things that we've done. You know, I think during COVID, we did a lot of pivoting, right? And a lot of just rethinking what we did to make it work in our new environment during the pandemic, right? And so I do think some of the changes that we were able to push Congress into um, creating on behalf of veterans during the pandemic were really great. And now those are things that we're kind of fighting for. Uh, We did some really cool work in partnership with the Home Depot Foundation Mm -hmm. to try to help providers and community partners understand how they could work with their um, state housing finance agencies to create more set-asides for you know, veterans exiting homelessness and even people leaving homelessness, right? Amidst the low income housing tax credit allocations to try and steer more funding towards um, housing programs, right? So that we actually have housing on the back end of all of the great like crisis response services that we have. And I'm trying to think about what else we've done. We've done a lot in six years, I guess, huh? Yeah. Maybe not enough if I'm struggling. (laughs) Two is good, right? Like I can probably do things. Right, exactly. (laughs) better than none right (laughs) over here like honestly like we didn't go bankrupt though let me stop playing (laughs) like don't put that in the podcast (laughs) you can put it (laughs) 
Yeah, so I guess then looking ahead, what are some of uh, your guys's like goals and plans in the next few years? Yeah. Well, so, you know, we're in an interesting time where we've been pivoting our technical assistance and training opportunities, right? And one of the things that we did in this last year was we brought on our research fellow and he did a lot of really great learning about the needs of aging veterans and some of the gaps that providers and communities are facing. So I think that'll probably be one of the next things that we are pushing out the door, right? Is some of the mm-hmm. findings from his time with us and kind of some thought around what communities can do about all of this to enhance what they're doing, right? Because we are hearing from a ton of providers that, you know, the veterans that they're serving are getting older and older and have very different needs and that, you know, the system of care for aging people is not really married up with the system of care for homeless people, right? Mm -hmm. And so there needs to be a little bit more interconnectivity there. Uh, We are doing some thinking about creating a learning library for not only our members, I think our members and maybe other folks too, we're still kind of figuring out the details, but I think the goal is to develop a few more self-paced online trainings that folks can take absent of like our annual conference, right? Like our annual conference is obviously the big learning training opportunity for everybody and folks Mm -hmm. come, you know, from all around the country to sit with us for two and a half days and hopefully not get bored, right? Like learn some (laughs) new stuff to take back to their communities. And this year I did actually ask them, I'm like, what did you learn? Tell me more. Like, yeah, I don't want to just hear it was a good conference and like the dessert was amazing at lunchtime. Like, yes, it was, but also like, what did you take away from here that you're going to go do at home? Mm-hmm. And so I think we're trying to think through how we create more of those opportunities outside of just our normal major training events, right? So that we can make some of the trainings and that type of stuff more accessible to providers who may not have a travel budget or even folks within an agency who maybe like off cycle on their, this is my year to come to conference year situation, right. you know? Yeah. Is there anything else, you know, in, in CHB, better in homelessness that you want our listeners to know? There'd be a lot. <laughs> There's a, you see me like filtering yeah, my thoughts. Yeah, like, like, oh, how can I narrow it down? <laughs> you know, I, I do think in terms of your listeners, and this is something that I pitch at almost every general speech that I give, right? And it's, if you are someone who's a landlord, right? Like give a veteran exiting homeless as a chance. If you're someone who's an employer, right? Like, you know, these veterans, even though they've experienced homelessness and may have spotty employment histories, are going to be among some of the most dedicated within your workforce because they're very motivated to do better for themselves. So if you're someone who's hiring, give them a chance, right? right? Like if you're someone who has the means to support organizations like HVAP or NCHV, like certainly do so because this work never happens in a vacuum. And, you know, it is really hard, but worthwhile work. And, you know, even for folks who may not be landlords or job creators or whatever it is, right? Like there are so many ways to partner with organizations in your community that um, serve homeless veterans, right? Whether you're volunteering or running bingo night or serving meals or whatever it is, like there are so many opportunities to plug into this work. And if you're someone who cares, reach out and find out how to plug in. Because I think, you know, we at least at NCHV welcome nearly anybody, right? Like if you're interested in vending better in homelessness, come on in and we'll find the spot for you to figure out how we can maximize your talents, your skills, your, you know, energy, right? In a way that is useful to the cause. Yeah. How can our listeners connect with you, you know, online and follow along? 
Yeah, well, so our website is www.nchv.org. Uh, I believe we are also on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram. And we may or may not be starting a TikTok by the end of the year. Oh, so nice. <laughs> look for more by the end of the year. Maybe not today, but there are like twinkles in my mind that we're going to do that. So nice. You know, there may be more to come. Yeah. Awesome. Well, they'll have to tune in and connect with you guys. So, well, thank you, Catherine, so much for talking with us and uh, sharing with our listeners more about NCHB. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your time today. All right. Today on Roger That, I am here with Steve Ben. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Thanks so much for, for having me here. I'm super excited and uh, delighted to see where all this goes. So thanks yeah, for having me. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for taking time to chat with us today. So, First, if you just want to share a little bit about yourself so our you know, listeners know who you are. Sure. I'm Steve Benz. I live here in Indianapolis uh, for about, I guess, the last 20, 25 years, something mm-hmm. like that. So, um, yeah, I uh, spent many years working at, at Eli Lilly and Company and then got uh, hooked up with HVAB many years ago. I grew up in a small Wisconsin town, did some time in the Air Force, went off to college and then law school and found my way to Lilly and found my way to HVAB. Yeah, awesome. And yeah, thank you for your for your service. Uh, you know, if is there anything about your time in the military you want to share, maybe, you know, where when you served, sure. where you went, what you did? Yeah, I was in the United States Air Force from 1985 to 1991. Uh, I was what's called an air weapons controller. Uh, they're guys who sit at uh, radar scopes and tell our guys where the other guys are and pass communications along and did that in several different places. I was in a mobile radar unit over in at Kadena Air Base in Japan and um, had a lot of fun with that. Spent time in Korea, the Philippines. Did some of my work. Uh, those were back in the, the the Cold War days and we had a lot of places that uh, had radars that were looking at a lot of different things and I spent time working on some of those and, and some time up on uh, the AWACS plane. We had the radar up on top of it and so I did, uh, did that for a while too and um, spent six years at just a great time doing that. Um, I have a, a daughter who's currently an officer in the United States Air Force. Oh, nice. uh, First Lieutenant Olivia Benz, who's stationed at Yokota Air Base uh, outside of Tokyo, Japan. Um, she's already done a lot uh, more and better things in the Air Force than <laughs> I ever did. America's done better the second time around with, 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 with this one of the, the Benz family. She's just a super officer and we're totally proud of her being over there. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, I always ask this question actually to the veterans that we serve, you know, for the, for our, uh, stories, for our blog and everything. You know, I always ask them, what was the transition like from military life into back into the civilian world? Well, I, I think, you know, for, for me, I, I, I got out of the Air Force. I went to law school and it, um, the transition, you know, for the most part went, went pretty smoothly for me. And, and I, cause I had a period of time there where I was just, back in school and so everything was kind of structured as I was going through that. Um, I think you know, part of the transition though is after spending several years in the service when you've had the opportunity to, to really do some great things, work with a lot of great people on things that are, are serious and important for me going back and being a student wasn't the easiest thing in, in the whole world. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was very fortunate that I was able to get out of the service, go to school, get a good job afterwards. So. Um, and kind of just build off a lot of those experiences that I had um, in, in the in the Air Force. 
So you came here to work at Eli Lilly, and so how then did you get connected with HVAF? Sure. Uh, the way I got connected with HVAF was probably in the early 2000s, maybe 2002, 2003. Um, Lilly had provided a grant to HVAF for what uh, is now known, I guess, still as the Warman facility, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, to, to create a lot of that place, and at the time, uh, I was working at, as a lawyer at Lilly, and part of my job was to take a look at that grant paperwork, right? So I, I took a look at that paperwork, and then I got I was impressed with the organization, and so I um, got to meet people through that Lilly project. And at that point in time, then I decided to do some uh, volunteer legal work for HVAV back in the early 2000s, and that's how okay. I got started. Yeah, and I know you've had... Um... You know, you've been able to be involved in multiple ways, you know, on the board and, and yeah, all that. Yeah, it was great. I, I started off first doing the, the voluntary le- uh, legal work, which was really interesting in, in that um, HVAV was very different back then. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was much smaller, not the organization it is today, didn't mm-hmm. have the resources it had today. And in, in some ways, we were just kind of you know, scratching and clawing to keep things going and pay the bills and, and work through a lot of different issues that were challenging. Uh, and I did that from the legal perspective, and then I joined the board, and I was on the board uh, for a long time, and I got to serve as the board chair for about six years. For a while, I was the, the chairman of the facilities committee when we actually uh, purchased the building that we're sitting in today. Prior to that, we'd been out uh, at the old RCA building out on New York Street, um, and then we came down here. That was one of the first, I guess, big projects that I worked on when I was at HVAC. Yeah, you know, being involved with us for so long, you know, what has that been like just to see the growth and the change and everything? You know, it's been just a fascinating thing to watch and um, in, in many regards, right? It, it, it's, it's been really interesting to see the place get bigger, see the commission continue, see it kind of evolve. And it always seems we had the, the right people in place leading or, the organization at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how that seems to work in life, but it always seems that when we really needed people who were, you know, when it was a smaller organization, you know, pinching pennies, really worrying about that, we had a CEO and Tony Rogers who was an uh, incredible, I'm sorry, a board chair named Tony Rogers who was an incredible accounting finance mind, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was great for us at that time when we were really just trying to continue. And the, to look at the place today, I, I think a lot of times some people will think that it was inevitable that it would be here and it would be what it is today. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there were there were times early on where we were just getting by. And, and a lot of people were doing a ton of work to, to help it get by, mm-hmm. but then to watch it grow into what it is today. I, I think some of the things that have been fascinating to see was for, for many, many years, it was really focused almost exclusively on, on the grant and per diem program and what was called the REST program and really kind of the, what I'll call the, the reintegration side of, of veteran homelessness. And that's helping people who are experiencing homelessness to, to come back in, to be reintegrated, to get back on their feet and go out. Um, watching it move to kind of the SSVF model and that point in time where really preventing homelessness became even more and more of the mission of the organization. That's fun to watch to see how that part of it's grown today and seeing a lot of the things such as the food pantry and the clothing, um, things that we did somewhat back in the day, but not to the extent that we do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you know, you were just serving as the board chair of National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, which HBAF is uh, connected with. So, how did you get involved with them? Sure, I, I I got involved originally and found out about NCHV through my time at at HVAF, mm-hmm. um, and I got to you know, pay attention to what they were doing and and see a lot of the work that they were doing in in Washington and you know. Part of my day job at Eli Lilly and Company, I spent a lot of time in Washington just for the work that I was doing for the company. And so when I was out there, I started to kind of meet some people and network with them a little bit and learn about what NCHV was doing. And I'd always spent some time working in kind of government affairs related issues. So that fascinated me. And then to be able to kind of start to do that for NCHV was was really neat. And, um, and there was a, a kind of matched up really well that at, at a point in time where I had been the board chair here for about six years, uh, and it was time for someone else to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I stepped away from that, then I got more involved in the NCHV side of things and uh, began that chapter. It's a very different kind of work. I mean, it, it is um, you know, focused, in, it really has like a two-pronged mission to basically go ahead and be the voice mm-hmm. of the homeless veteran service providers and homeless veterans in Washington. But also then it does a lot of work in training and helping institutions across the country implement programs. But it, all of it done at a, at a much more, um, shall I say, 50,000-foot level versus you know the, the work that the service providers like HVAB are doing on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. Yeah. How long were you the board chair? I was the board chair for the, the last three years that I was there. I was there a total of nine mm-hmm. years. Um, and one of the really great things about that role was so much fun was I got to spend time seeing all the different organizations across the country that are that are working so hard to to prevent veteran homelessness and um, of all different sizes and from organizations such as U.S. vets with you know serving thousands and thousands of veterans to small places it might be you know having three four beds Mm -hmm. for veterans and, and and trying to help that work across the whole country was just a, a fascinating challenge to be part of and a great learning experience and meeting so many people who were so motivated to prevent veteran homelessness. Yeah. Are there any, you know, initiatives that you led, any any you know, projects that, you know, you're proud to share? I think the thing that, uh, that I am the most proud of that NCHV was able to accomplish um, and to say I led it would probably be an overstatement. <laughs> I was a part of it because <laughs> I of the great work that the board and the staff did, but you know, NCHV does so many amazing things. I know you've had a chance to talk to Catherine. Mm-hmm. They're they are a small but mighty team. You know, the, the the work that they do with literally a handful of people, a handful of people, it's mm-hmm. probably been between five and seven since since I've been a part of it, um, is just simply astounding. And the the thing that they did, which was so amazing, was the work they did during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, that it, so many people were just trying to figure out, hey, what does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. How, how am I going to get through COVID? How am I, is my organization going to get through COVID? All of that point in time, the work that they were able to do, the, the resources that they were able to obtain, literally in the, the billions, with a B, mm-hmm. of dollars that they, that they were able to, to pull together over a period of time, was just so critical to the services that were provided to homeless veterans throughout that period of time. Um, all of the funds that helped people kind of retool their organizations to, to make them safe for people, 
during the pandemic. Um, interestingly, a, a piece of trivia, mm -hmm. the first virtual hearing that uh, the United States Congress ever had, mm -hmm. the, the first speaker was Catherine Monet of NCHV. Oh, really? she, nice. she was the person when they were testing out to see if I could get all the kinks out of the system yeah. and have a virtual hearing. She was the first one there, which I think is, is a testament to, to her and to NCHV and the significance of the issues. And I, I look back at what they did um, and they were, it just was just something to see. And, and, mm -hmm. the, and, and just a handful of people made such a big difference in the lives of you know, thousands and thousands of thousands of others during the pandemic. Yeah, being a veteran yourself and now seeing, you know, the work that HVAF has done and CHV and all these, all these veterans now, not just in Indiana, but across the nation that have been helped. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I, it, it's just, it's something to, to see, I think, when you really, what, what I really in, enjoy is when you see the connectivity within the group of people that are that are really working on this issue. Um, and that's every single person who's a part of it. That's the veteran that's going through the program. Mm -hmm. I think it's the people who are doing the work that they're in this building. They're the people at NCHV. They're the volunteers that come in and support things. It's, it's one of the best examples, if not maybe the best example, of what our society does in the United States and what it can do when it pulls together. Mm -hmm. And and I I think it has a common purpose, and it's something that if, if we could address so many issues the way we're able to kind of pull together and tackle this one, it, it'd be uh, perhaps a better place. And so I, I really, that's something that I've seen. Now, one of the things that we are very focused on at NCHV is to make sure that the, the support for veterans continues um, as times change. Um, one of the things that I've always worried a bit about is um, as the conflicts have wind down, there, there's a very small amount of people who have, and it's getting smaller and smaller, that have connections to the United States military. So we, we really have to continue to be out there, talk about veterans' issues, and get as much of it solidified in statute and other places because there, it's not always been an issue at the forefront of a lot of people, mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that it remains that way as a smaller and smaller demographic of Americans actually participate and know folks in the military. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we close out, is there you know anything else you want to share? You know, think our listeners should know about HVAF and CHV. Just anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I think you know, the thing that I'd really like to share is is no contribution is too small. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's financial, whether it's time, um, it, it, it all adds up. And, and, and lots of times, I think, to the extent you also can participate and volunteer in person, I think the connectivity that that brings to the people who are in this building and who work on these issues, um, both the veterans here, it's great to connect with them, the ones who are going through the program, but also the people around the staff. And, and so I would just say to people, if you're if you're motivated in any way to, mm -hmm. to pay, play any kind of role, whether it's dropping stuff off for the food pantry or the clothing pantry, whether it's coming in and volunteering, whether it's spending a few dollars making a donation, you know, do it mm -hmm. because it, it's truly important and, and it truly adds up over a period of time. And um, I think you'll, uh, if you're like me, I, I got way 
when I started volunteering for HFAV, I never realized how much I would actually get out of being a volunteer and connected to HFAV and NCHV. Mm -hmm. I got way more out of everybody there than I ever gave to them, right? And so I, I, I would just suggest to folks, and you don't have to be a former veteran yourself. You don't mm -hmm. have to have had people who have served in the military. Some of the greatest volunteers and board members and supporters of HFAB were not veterans themselves. Mm -hmm. And and so if, you, if you're if you motivated, you're interesting, um, please um, just reach out to, to me, to anyone here to, at, at HFAB, at NCHV. We'd love to have you as part of the team. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Steve. Well, happy to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Of course. Keep doing all the great work you guys are. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> all right. That wraps up this episode of Roger That. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to Roger That on wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at HVAF of Indiana. And for even more stories on HVAF and the veterans that we serve, check out our blog on our website at HVAF.org. Thank you. And until no hero is homeless, we'll see you next time on Roger That, a podcast presented by HVAF of Indiana.